Under the radar means hearing about things you didn't know you needed to know until you hear them. It's a serious look. Hear about the issues that don't get the attention they deserve. Under the radar doesn't get caught up in the day-to-day. Surfacing issues that are not talked about in mainstream media. I think it's something that connects us to each other. Under the radar is all about discovery. I can be guaranteed voices I haven't heard before. But also the questions. Under the radar is one step ahead. I'm Callie Crossley. This week on Under the Radar with Callie Crossley, these days the soundtrack to our lives sounds like this. At the tone, please record your message. Turn right and then turn right. Hi, you are currently being recorded. Unless you're a hermit, Ubiquitous technology is embedded in the fabric of modern life, but now there is a significant movement by some Americans to reduce the amount of technology in their lives. And these tech reductionists are willing to change their habits to go back to a simpler, less technology-centered lifestyle. Later in the show, it's official, the city of Boston has its own mixtape. Boston is not the old Boston. We have an opportunity to show that Boston is new, that Boston is hip, but we still can lean on the authentic nature of Boston being a birthplace for the revolution. Dear Summer, Volume 1 features six DJs and 17 artists to represent Greater Boston and the musical vibrancy of Boston's unique neighborhoods. But first, joining me now, Joe Hollier, co-founder of Light, a company that sells minimalist cell phones. Hi, Joe. Hi, how's it going? Thanks for having us. I'm glad to have you. Also with me, Jose Briones, digital minimalism YouTuber and advocate, moderator of the subreddit Dumb Phones. Hello, Jose. Hello, Callie. We are so thankful that you're featuring this topic. <laughs> oh, I'm glad. Me too, actually. And also with me, Andrew Maynard, professor of advanced technology transitions at Arizona State University. Welcome, Andrew. Thank you. It's great to be here. All right, so I think we want to start by you know, picking up and just talking about the impact of having all of that technology all the time, everywhere, all at once. And so, Professor Maynard, I'm going to start with you, Andrew. Um, what What is the impact of that? It's almost impossible to tell. What we know is there is an impact. It is convoluted. Um, some of it is is clearly bad. So there's been a lot of concern, for instance, about social media and how it just changes the way we think, the way we act, the way we live our lives. But what makes it complicated is humans are incredibly adaptable. So you throw a new technology into the mix and people find new ways of using it. So it's really hard to tease out what is good and what is bad. Hmm. Now, Jose, before you move to uh, uh, dumb phones and away from the kind of ubiquitous technology that we're talking about, you were all in. So let's describe your life um, as a person, well, probably the rest of us, just sort of going about our lives and being uh, overwhelmed and absorbing all of it. What was it, what was it like for you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, for me, I came from a different country. So I was born in Nicaragua. And when I came here, I had a technology rush. So I adopted everything because it was amazing, right? It's a lot of convenience, a lot of easier things. Like, for example, now I can listen to this amazing podcast very quickly, or I can watch a video, I can find information. And I used to, and I still like technology, but we adopted it so quickly that we didn't realize some of the drawbacks. So it took me nine years for me of continued technology use to really 
come to my senses and say, this is a detriment to my life. I need to find a balance between it. Now, Joe Hollier, you co-founded Light, a company that sells minimalist cell phones, as we've said. Um, but And we're going to get to greater detail about that in just a minute. But I want to know what your life was like as a person living in this technology-focused world. Yeah, I think probably similar to most smartphone users, I didn't consider myself particularly addicted in any excessive way, but uh, was finding myself like many of us, uh, consistently vulnerable to the pools of the smartphone. I was working as a freelance artist and designer. So a lot of my on off time with work wasn't as clear as if I had a more kind of nine to five job. So by bringing my smartphone with me just, you know, to the beach or for an evening out, I found myself, you know, seeing an email from a client or, you know, getting text or other things about work. Uh, and it was really hard to find that kind of work-life balance uh, when you bring your little computer with you everywhere. So was that part of your own experience, part of your interest um, that eventually led to the the, the company that makes um, light? Yeah, definitely. And I would say it's also the kind of other side of the spectrum. Like when I would go on road trips or camping or, you know, spending quality time in the studio and turning off my smartphone, I just felt so relieved, like a huge kind of weight was lifted. So I think we wanted to encourage people to find that kind of positive uh, tech-free space and not necessarily ditch technology at large altogether, but to, you know, intentionally carve out spaces where maybe we don't need to bring every single uh, thing the internet has to offer with us. Mm. Um, back to you, Andrew Maynard. Um, what Joe just said is interesting because what you've noted is that a lot of folks don't do a typically a complete, it's out of here, tech, no more. Mm -hmm. I'm living in the woods. <laughs> um, they start by small things, um, and maybe they're not even aware of it. But I noted that uh, when you were talking to my producer about this, you said you were, uh, you pointed out that you work in tech innovation, but you were listening to vinyl on a <laughs> 70s turntable. So I wonder if there's more examples of that, or is that what we should be looking for as we start to think about folks who are uh, intentionally looking for ways to extract themselves from the total grip of technology? Yeah, so I think part of this is we have a choice. Um, we can decide um, how much technology we embrace, how we embrace it, and and how we really find the value in our lives. So yes, um, as you said, um, there are things that I really enjoy, like analog watches, um, vinyl. My camera is a fully manual camera, and I get joy and pleasure out of that. I hate everything being automated around me, but that's a choice I make. And I, I think a lot of people forget that they can make the these decisions for themselves, how much or how little technology they have in their lives. Of course, the difficulty is when we've got tech companies trying to push it down our throats, sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's difficult to pull back from that. And is there um, social pressure? Let's just talk about the social pressure of pulling back. Mm. Um, you know, you may know yourself, I don't like this, and I want to have the analog camera or the, mm -hmm. the the 70s turntable and for some people the 70s turntable is cool so that may be accepted <laughs> um but there you are existing in a space where everybody else around you is doing something different and it you, you feel pressure 
Yeah, no, I think that this is a huge issue. I mean, especially for younger generations, where there's been a, a shift in how we think about those social interactions, largely driven by social media. So now we're beginning to see a very, very different mindset where people feel as if they have to be in on the technology to be part of, of their community, their group, and to find that value of being part of the group. And that is, I think, a harder thing to sort of help people escape from or find mod moderation in. Okay, so Jose, that's the point you got to. Like, I got to get some control over this. Um, talk to us about that. And was there a moment where you just said, oh, it all came to you that I am drowning and I have to take some control? I was in the middle of my master's degree uh, in Michigan. And while I was at the university there, Andrews University, I... Um, my eyes were straining. So, you know, I went to class and I felt like a big headache and I was like thinking, why is this happening to me? And it was because I was using technology a lot. You know, I was writing papers. So, you know, that was necessary. I definitely didn't want to go back to a typewriter. But at the same time, um, there was a lot of other technology used. Like, you know, when I went home, I was watching movies or I was, you know, engaging on email or back and forth responses for my classroom necessities with classmates via my phone. And I was listening to music and I was going on social media. So there were a lot of components that were overwhelming my life. And it was once I finished in 2019 that I said, I need to look for alternatives. So I started to look for different alternatives, dumb phones. I also found the light phone. Um, which I use as well. Um, and there is a lot of different areas or different phones that were able to kind of like give me that respite, that pause that I needed. And it, it's not only that that I needed, but it's also a societal thing. Uh, you know, Professor Maynard uh, did mention that we do have the ability to restrict some of our technology, but as more and more venues and public transit mediums, they have these QR codes and they push their apps, it's more difficult to go analog or go completely without a phone because it may be the way that you have to survive. So it's difficult to detach from it when you need it for your everyday life. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley, and I'm here with Joe Hollier, co-founder of Light. Jose Briones, a digital minimalism YouTuber, and Andrew Maynard, professor of advanced technology transitions at Arizona State University. We're discussing digital minimalism. Okay, so now, Joe Hollier, um, all of this going on, um, here is Jose looking, looking deliberately for an alternative. He finds uh, your phone. So talk to us about how light came together. We we know the initial inspiration came from your own feeling of overwhelmingness, if I can make up a word. Um, and then how did it end up translating into the light phone? Let's try to keep a long story super short. Uh, in 2014, Google, ironically, of all companies, uh, had an incubator kind of experimental program uh, for designers. And that's where I joined and actually met my co-founder, Kaiway uh, in this program. And uh, it was very open-ended, but really as we kind of got going, um, it was quite clear that they wanted us to create smartphone apps. And so I learned a lot more than I previously knew about the kind of how and why 
some of these smartphone apps were being built and funded. Um, and, you know, it's a little bit more mainstream knowledge now, but at the time I learned about this metric of retention and just how every app is basically fighting for how many hours a day of your time are you spending with this product, be it, you know, smartphone app or a website, um, because if it was sticky uh, and someone kept coming back and back, there was a business model to be exploited in that. And Kaiway and I kind of came to this realization that could making some new smartphone possibly make us any happier to be more connected for one more hour on our smartphone or is what we're craving and what the users we're interviewing craving is some sort of escape. And so the original light phone only made phone calls and it was really just the kind of temporary uh, sidestep of your smartphone, kind of like an away message. Um, and as we kind of have launched it out into the world, we are now on the Light Phone 2, which added more functionality, but still stays really strictly uh, around our ethos of intentionality. Um, so the phone, uh, you know, doesn't have an internet browser. There's no social media, no uh, infinite feed of any kind, clickbait news, and there's no email. So really all of the things the phone does, calling, texting, setting an alarm, are you know just really utilitarian based, um, and the idea is that you're not pulling out the phone. So we like to say it's a phone designed to be used as little as possible because it's about the time and the space that it gives you to not be staring at a screen. So um, here's a clip from the Light Phone to advertising the phone on the website. Does being so connected actually make us any happier? why we've designed a phone to be used as little as possible. It has a few essential tools, a thoughtful interface, and a black and white matte display. It's a phone that actually respects you. So Joe, here's something interesting. When you were talking about coming to the conclusions about, um, you know, uh, how these apps were being used and how it would just be more technology noise, if you will, in our lives, and you wanted to do something different. Um, you said you started with giving people flip phones for an afternoon or the weekend, and nobody used their phones. Um, so that helped you realize that people actually would survive with a phone <laughs> that didn't do all the other stuff that, quote-unquote, smartphones do. Yeah, exactly. I would say there's definitely, and we even saw this with that initial test, a kind of initial anxiety that happens. So it's not just like, oh, now I'm immediately free of the smartphone. There is some FOMO that users feel when they first try the light phone. They might find themselves pulling the phone out a couple of times a minute only to realize that it doesn't do very much. There's no new notifications. You can't really get lost, but it's kind of, you know, habits that need to be retrained. Um, but what's really great and inspiring is that once people kind of overcome that initial anxiety, they feel much more relaxed, much more free. And I think that's why we saw that, you know, no one was actually using the phone. It was really the peace of mind that we're reachable, God forbid, or have a phone. But, you know, uh, the value was I had this great conversation. I had a walk in the park. I finally read this book I've been meaning to read. Um, those are the kinds of things we hear all the time from users. Now, back to you, Jose. Um, so you took your own experience um, and then started really talking about it and writing about it, YouTubing, 
um, moderating a subreddit called R Dumb Phones. Um, how, what led from your own personal experience to saying, gee, I should share this with a lot of other folks and tell me the response um, to the work that you're doing out in YouTube and subreddit? Starting in 2019, I needed that break and I researched a lot of phones. I tried out the Light Phone 2 and I didn't see a lot of reviews happening on YouTube, which is what I used to do with smartphones. I used to go on YouTube, watch reviews and decide whether I'm going to buy it or not. So I decided to just document my experience. So I started to, you know, just make videos my first week with the Light Phone, my second week with the Light Phone. And then a lot of people started subscribing and commenting like, hey, can you test this? Can, does it have that? Uh, can it work with this or Verizon, AT&T, whatever? And then I started to do other phones and essentially that just started to grow and people have more questions about the lifestyle, about what it is. There are different categories of dumb phones nowadays. You have something very simple like the light phone, uh, which is not necessarily a dumb phone. It's more like a minimal phone. Uh, but then you have like flip phones and those flip phones have different features. So I started to just talk about it and the impact has been uh, wide reaching. You know, I started writing about it as well. I have a, a little blog that I kind of keep up on Substack and um, people started to say like, wow, I resonate with, with what you're saying and I want to know more. I want to see if, I, if it's possible for me to change. And on Reddit, we have 26,000 members. So that's, you know, it's a little sample of the world. Of course, everybody comes and tries to ask questions, but it's, it's a pretty big community that is trying to find a simpler life. And ironically, the goal for my channel, the goal for the subreddit is for people to completely unsubscribe at some point in time. They come, they find what they need, and then they go back to their lives because we don't need to continue being in this cycle of research and the new thing comes out once we find a solution that truly appeals to us. And then we can share it maybe with a friend or maybe we come back every so often to say, hey, this is how my life has gotten better. This is what I have updated. These are the things that I have done. And then you go back to your life. And that's the beauty of what I do because I feel like I'm not trying to add to the problem and add content for the sake of adding content, but add content to inspire people to live their lives again instead of living lives through a screen. Mm. Um, Andrew Maynard, um, I want to underscore that doing what Jose did um, and what a lot of people who have purchased the light did, uh, the phone, the light have done, to reduce the tech in their lives is not easy. And in fact, in the 1968 film, 2001, A Space Odyssey, the computer Hal said he wasn't gonna let it happen. I know that you and Frank were planning to disconnect me. And I'm afraid that's something I cannot allow to happen. Just wanted you to hear that, Andrew Maynard. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but uh, to continue that, uh, let's really take a listen to how difficult it was for young some young people to to be um, out of their normal experience of having ready access to tech. So first, here are some voices recorded by BuzzFeed of young people who used flip phones for a week and had a hard time. It's kind of sad, but my relationship with my phone is my longest, most intimate relationship. Everybody who knows me, they know what's going on in my life all the time. There's always on Snapchat stories or Instagram stories. I do like the look, but like functionally, what am I supposed to do with this? I have to go to Staples. I don't know where Staples is, so I had to print out Google Maps. So the alarm on the stupid flip phone did not go off. It's now 9.30 and I'm supposed to be at work. 
at 9.30, so. I miss emojis. This is my life now. <laughs> Andrew Maynard, I'd love your response. <laughs> you should see the grin on my face listening to that. <laughs> so, I, well, yes, I maybe this is part of the challenge, but also one of the challenges we face, I think, is a generational thing. Um, because we have, uh, we're, we're seeing a generation of, of young people arise where these technologies are so integral to their lives that they're part of their identity. Um, and that makes things very difficult because, as you heard from those comments, you pull the technology out of their lives and they feel as if they're losing something of their identity. Now the question becomes, is this an operation which we should um, take part in because this is a bad technology? Or is there a, a more complex pathway forward? And certainly from, from our research, the indication is that there's a more complex pathway forward where we absolutely should be giving people the choice of pulling some of the technology out of their, their lives um, and giving them the pathways to do that. And that's where the work of people like Joe and Jose is so important. But at the same time, we also need to understand how these technologies help people form their identity and bring value to their lives. Now, should it be, uh, because a lot, a lot of stuff that we're we're articulating here, it's not good. I mean, we, we can clearly see the damage. Um, could be psychological, could be... Uh, at any other um, level, should this industry be more, many aspects of the technology industry be more heavily regulated? I'm not sure it should be more heavily regulated, but it should certainly be more responsible. And one of the things that that we look at with emerging technologies is, is this idea of responsibility. How do you develop a technology, push it into society and learn to use it in ways that actually lead to a better society? So this is not a pro an approach that says we need to pull back from technology, nor a pro an approach that says we need to heavily regulate, because regulation is always a double-edged sword. But it's one that says we need to be thinking carefully about what the consequences are of what we're doing, especially the unintended consequences. And certainly from our, our work, it's very clear that the companies producing and pushing out these technologies have got a deep responsibility to understanding the adverse consequences and working out how to navigate around those. And some of them try and do that. Some of them pay lip service to it. Quite a lot of them don't simply because of the economic imperative of making money. Well, I'm sure you know uh, that some states have gone ahead and, for example, banned TikTok. Mm -hmm. Now, where does this fit in this conversation? Where does that fit in this conversation? <laughs> I, so I think on one level, TikTok is different because it's political, because of the, the Chinese influence there. And that's what's driven that. Um, but then when you just look at the, the social impacts of TikTok, it is, again, difficult because TikTok is definitely one of those platforms that um, vies for our attention in, in what people call the attention economy. It is designed to keep you stuck to the screen. On the other hand, you talk to sophisticated TikTok users and they'll say they gain great benefit, great value out of it. So then again, we have the conundrum. How do we ensure that people live the lives that they want to live? And remember, when we're talking about choice, there's also a choice to embrace technology without those users being abused by the creators of that technology. Um, and that's, that is a really difficult one to pull apart. And I don't think you can do it just by banning a platform like TikTok. Mm. And I wonder um, what the impact is on uh, sort of forced digital detoxes. Um, 
as an example, there were a number of students and faculty um, at a Buxton school. It's a small private high school in western Massachusetts. And here they are responding to a smartphone ban. When the announcement was made, um, it felt like a really chaotic moment. There was a lot of upheaval. There was a lot of crying. There was a lot of doom scrolling on their phones. And this wasn't an announcement like, we're taking away your phone tomorrow. It's like, we're taking away your phone in seven months. The language of addiction that the kids showed, like when we rolled it out, where like they were, it was such a like, like I need, I need my iPhone. It's like a part, like to, to me, that was what was scary. It's like, they, they sounded like drug addicts. <laughs> what do you say to that, Jose? Yeah, that's that's a, a, a very real experience, right? We've been living with these devices for the past 13, some some of us 15 years, right? If you got the original iPhone and it becomes ingrained, it becomes uh, the default. So if I want to find maps, I go to my iPhone. If I want to get podcasts, if I want to listen to music, I go to Spotify, which is on my most likely smartphone device. And because of that, you create a dependency. You create something that you want to use. You feel happy. I mean, I remember being attached to it. And when I was texting my girlfriend, I remember when the screen just kind of came up alive, right? It glows because I have a new notification. I get this rush of, wow, like somebody cares about me. And I put a lot of my, not my value on the person necessarily or the notification that I got, but also on the phone, because the phone is the medium through which I received this amazing, loving text uh, at the time, my girlfriend, now my wife. But now when, you know, I use a dumb phone, I use a flip phone, it's such a different experience. It's not as beautiful. You don't get the full experience, the full picture, the emojis, the whatever videos that people send you. It's a different response. And that has changed the way I interact with technology as well. Uh, to the point that, you know, I've been thinking, what else do I need less of instead of what else do I need more of? Well, you've written a book about dumb phones just to have, help people understand, you know, how it works and how they would work in your life. What's been the response? So Low Tech Life is the book that I wrote. It's independently published. And what I talk about there is how to simplify your life, how to understand dumb phones in an era of smart devices, how to live a slower life, a more methodical life. Um, the cells are not astronomical because, of course, it's independently published. I've got about 300, 350 people, and people have, you know, written me letters and emails about, hey, your book really has helped me to truly understand where am I in life and what do I need to cut back on? What do I need to think about? And you know, maybe re-engage. My book is not necessarily trying to convince you to get a dumb phone, but also understand how can I live in this society and maybe I will have a smartphone, but how to use it in a way that it actually serves me in a way that adds value to my life instead of draining time, draining money. I mean, all of the in-app purchases and subscriptions and all of these services that are now easily accessible, they continue to drain our time and pockets. So people need to realize that. So my book talks about my journey and a lot of the changes that I have made and I have encountered and looking into lower forms or not lower forms, but slower, maybe slower forms. forms. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Slower forms of technology, like enjoying the vinyl records again, mm -hmm. or instead of streaming right away, going to the movie theater, 
but it takes time. It takes effort. It's not as convenient, but the experience is so much better when we step out of our comfort zones and enjoy life with other humans instead of enjoying life again through, through that screen. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. And here with me are Joe Hollier, co-founder of Light, Jose Briones, a digital minimalism YouTuber, and Andrew Maynard, professor of advanced technology transitions at Arizona State University. We're talking about the digital minimalism movement. Well, one of the things that, um, a couple things you said that I think is very interesting. We said a lot of interesting things, but but I'm just picking these two out. Um, that using your phone mindlessly is the worst. And I have to say, boy, that is so easy to get sucked into. And I am pretty close to a minimalist on the use of my smartphone. I do not respond to texts right away. I hate group texts. People get mad at me because they're like, I sent you a text. Okay, well, I'll get to it. You know, I just right. don't care that much. You know, I can leave the phone somewhere for a day and two days, and I'm okay with that. Um, but, you know, again, as we've talked about earlier, I'm living in a world where everybody expects an uh, instant response. So, as you pointed out, that using the phone mindlessly is the worst. The other part that I think is important for you to talk about a little bit more is that there's more than one way to become a digital minimalist. I agree with that. Um, a lot of us, or at least my friends in, in my circle and the people that I interact with online, um, we have chosen a path that is complete lifestyle change. You're changing your lifestyle to ac accommodate a dumb phone, accommodate a flip phone, accommodate something that doesn't have as many features. But you can do this with a smartphone. You know, there are little tricks, little things that will improve your quality and decrease your usage. Um, even though companies do pay lip service with uh, services like, for example, screen time or digital well-being from Google, they allow you to restrict your usage. The problem is you can easily bypass it by the click of two buttons or two taps. But you can, I mean, reduce your usage by being mindful and saying, okay, I'm going to maybe put my phone away in the other room instead of sleeping next to it. That already decreases your doom scrolling really early in the morning. Maybe you buy an, an alarm clock, uh, just a regular one, an old one, instead of using your phone uh, so that when you wake up, it's not the first thing you see. But, you know, you press the alarm clock and then you go about your day, you start your day without looking at your screen, you know, 24 seven or trying to do the first thing is check email or check the messages. You leave it, you maybe make more in, more intentional times. And you can do the same with other things like reduce the amount of apps you use. Do you need 50 or 60 apps on your phone? Or can you rein it down to the essentials? And also this goes into computer use, right? Right now we are communicating in, an, in a digital era with remote work and Zoom and Teams. Okay, that's fine. That's no problem. But can you take a 15-minute break every hour to go for a walk, breath, you know, get, get some fresh air and allow yourself to enjoy nature and then come back and go back to work and go back to do the things that you have to do, even if you're at home. Mm -hmm. These are small practices that uh, improve our quality of life and at the same time, deplete the dependency that we have upon our smart devices. Well, um, picking up on that, uh, Joe, the uh, co-founder of Light, the minimalist phone. So what we're seeing is a couple things. Um, people 
trying to reduce their screen time overall. So as a result, then they can try to figure out how to be a digitally minimalist. And that would include, therefore, um, phones that will allow them to do that, as such as your phone uh, called Light. But I was fascinated uh, that you were quoted in a piece by CNBC that talked about Gen Z folks who are looking to limit screen time. And I assume that they are mostly digital natives, so that, that the driver of this kinds of tech reductionist movement, it would not be coming from them. But apparently it is. Yeah, I mean, I think in general, we've seen the light phone resonate with such a wide variety of users. It's been actually inspiring um, to imagine that you know, this kind of universal thing can exist in such a divisive kind of digital era. But I think, as you pointed out, one of the biggest surprises to us was seeing a younger generation, one that we similarly assumed was probably so tied and closely knit to these, you know, dependencies on social media and, you know, social expectations among their friend groups, um, or even, you know, sometimes schools, uh, you know, sort of assume students have smartphones, take a picture of the assignment, or, you know, here's the web thing, we'll text it to everyone. Uh, so there really can be a lot of friction uh, in that. And I, I, I think, you know, the students we've talked to, some of the younger generation, uh, their motives for changing aren't different than, you know, my motives. Uh, and they've just been feeling it so deeply uh, and for a longer part of their life, you know, admitting that social media makes them feel bad, that, you know, they acknowledge that they're not doing their best work when it comes to school or other, you know, uh, practices because they're distracted. We've seen so many types of uh, users for the light phone, but that's definitely one of the more interesting groups. I, I definitely don't think it's the the majority of, you know, Gen yes. Zers mm -hmm. that are switching to the light phone, but uh, it's definitely an optimistic swing and in some ways, uh, we were a little surprised to see the opposite, which is, um, you know, kind of an older generation that didn't grow up with the smartphones, but has found them to be so incredibly convenient that people are like, my mom's more addicted to me than their, my, uh, I am to my own phone. Mm. Or, you know, uh, and, and so we actually are seeing adoption more, mostly in the kind of 25 to 40 year old range is our core kind of demographic. Interesting. Andrew Maynard, you get the last word. Um, how will we see this tech reductionist nascent movement grow or fade away, let's say, next five years or so? That's a tough one. And I'm not sure my crystal ball is working that well. <laughs> what I would say is I think, I hope, we're going to see more intentionality around the choices people make and more of a realization that's people can control more than they think of their digital lives, whether that is putting their digital devices aside for a period or maybe a longer period, or maybe being more intentional with how they use them. Um, and I say hope because my hope is we see a period where people make smart choices that are good for them, not just good for the companies that are pushing this tank. Well, I thank you all for joining me for this fascinating conversation. And I'm just about um, at the dumb phone level. <laughs> so, so I can hear this very well. So I thank you all for joining me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Jill Hollier is the co-founder of Light, a company that sells minimalist cell phones. Jose Briones 
is a digital minimalism YouTuber and advocate and moderator of the subreddit Dumb Phones. Andrew Maynard is a professor of advanced technology transitions at Arizona State University. Coming up, how do you capture the musical heart and soul of a city in just a few songs? The city of Boston believes it pulled it off with Dear Summer, Volume 1, the city's first official mixtape. That's next. This is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley. Crossley. 